Hello, everyone, and welcome to this uh, Sarah Week uh, conversation presented by IHS Market. Uh, my name is Atul Arya. I'm the Chief Energy Strategist, and it's my great, great pleasure to welcome Lydie Hudson, CEO, Sustainability Research and Investment Solutions at Credit Suisse, and also a member of the Executive Board of Credit Suisse. Lydie, welcome to Sarah Week Conversation. It's great to be back with you, Atul. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excellent. So we we last uh, spoke in the Sarah Week context, at least uh, in in March, and you know in that conversation we had there was a lot of discussion about metrics and reporting and so on. So tell us, you know, now we are in uh, September, so six months later, what's what's happening in the whole metrics and reporting landscape? Yes, uh, indeed, the the train of alphabet soup and kind of uh, <clears throat> acronyms has continued in full force through the calendar year. I think in large part leading up to COP26, you're continuing to see an enormous amount of momentum around disclosure and, and really with governments in different regions getting into the business of, of being a force for disclosure as well. So whereas this had started very much from an investor perspective, with um, significant amount of activity from uh, a few large asset management firms in particular. Um, what you're seeing and hearing now in particular from the US with uh, SEC Ch Chair Gensler uh, uh, announcing the intention to mandate disclosure on climate risks by the end of, yeah. with you know, a new rule by the end of 21. Um, the European Commission continues on their work, which is under the Directive on Corporate Sustainability Reporting. Um, which also, of course, we have EU taxonomy and, you know, my home market, the Swiss Federal Council also uh, decided on parameters for, for climate reporting as well. So the, the, the underlying trend is disclosure is good for capital markets, disclosure is good for investors, that is, leads to transparency. And the, the thrust, you know, of disclosure continues to be around climate and climate change. And of course, this is where we know um, many investors look at this from a risk perspective as well. So again, it's everything's going global um, and really with a focus on climate, but that isn't to say that there aren't other topics behind climate that are also very important. Yeah, and we'll talk about some of them in a, in a few minutes. So, so the other big thing I would say, uh, which has happened since our last conversation was Credit Suisse and uh, I guess led by you published uh, a sustainability report so tell us a little bit about the report, the thinking behind it, and what's kind of new and different in, in this report. Sure. So when we um, took a big, big step back in uh, 2020 to really think through how we could uh, show more leadership on sustainability as an organization, it became quite clear to us that this a sustainability report, which 10, 20 years ago when I was in business school was called a, a social responsibility report. Yes. Um, but the sustainability report is really a, a, uh, a place where your employees go, your investors, regulators to understand the breadth and depth of your sustainability activities. That is to say for financial services, what are we doing to help finance a transition, but also how are we managing the climate risk or sustainability risk of our own organization? So we really stepped back, thought about how we could make it a great tool, um, a great library um, to explain what we were doing across uh, the ESG space for our investors, um, our clients, uh, our employees, and ultimately also our regulators. 
And, and the biggest leapfrog change we made was to adopt TCFD and SASB disclosures. Of course, SASB is now um, having been merged uh, and is now going to be called Value Reporting, so VRF, Value Reporting Foundation. So we all have to pivot from SASB to reminding ourselves that it's VRF. Um, but what really what we intended to do and what we did was provide a step change of transparency and information about our sustainability efforts. And you know, this is challenging because you're looking at the ent entire enterprise of a corporate. So you know, for Credit Suisse, we really had to work with um, HR, with our risk organization, with our compliance organization, with our finance organizations to really um, work through, to answer these questionnaires, to really um, make sure that we were uh, 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 getting good and, and decent and credible information that went through steps of governance and assurance, um, but that then we could publish something that had um, a, a wide variety of, of sustainability features. And again, this is in the journey of sustainability, disclosure and transparency are very, very important. Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned, you know, 20 years back, it used to be the CSR report. And then there was a lot of focus, I think, after that on, on environmental metrics, right? How much emission, how much water use and so on. But now the focus has kind of moved to E, S and G. Mm -hmm. And so S has become social issues have become quite important. So could you tell us a little bit about the focus on social within your report? Sure. Well, um, I think it's important to note that in, in this regard, I also have the privilege, in addition to looking after sustainability for Credit Suisse, you noted I also oversee research and our CIO office. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, it's become quite clear how much client appetite there is to really understand um, social topics and how they relate to corporate performance and underlying investment performance. Um, and, and why is this true? Um, I think that um, COVID uh, um, made clear how fragile parts of our society are, how fragile parts of our healthcare systems are. And of course, we saw a tremendous amount of social unrest last year as it relates to racial issues in certain parts of the world. So this kind of combination of health issues, of, of em employee issues for corporations, and all of the, those issues, um, also including uh, diversity and inclusion, really pushed um, the social topic um, to be almost equal to some of the environmental topics over the last year. And, and that was probably unpredictable pre-COVID. I mean, it really came about most likely because of the tremendous strain on, um, on society that, that COVID has introduced. So we um, recognize this in our research enterprise how much this topic was really um, here and, and wanted to, and how clients and investors wanted to engage on this. Uh, we felt it was important enough to name a global head of social sustainability to help our clients think through what their social strategy is. And importantly for us, again, since we're also a corporate, we have to think through our social sustainability strategy for Credit Suisse Group as well, so that we're a great employer, um, and that we're really meeting the, the requirements of our stakeholders. And of course, this can include you know, um, many different topics, including you know, all the philanthropy efforts we do, all the community outreach we do. In Switzerland last year, we had a, a very um, targeted um, financing um, uh, structure for the small and medium enterprise organizations to stay uh, working through COVID. So social is a diffuse topic, 
um, touching all kind of components of life and, and kind of society, but we felt it was very important to um, have a, a way of engaging with our clients, engaging with our employees, and ultimately with the societies in which we operate. Yeah, I noticed just building on what you're saying, uh, I noticed that one of the things you highlighted was sort of financial literacy and financial education. Why did you pick that topic? I mean, was there something behind that? Well, we have had a long tradition um, in as an organization uh, because we are a bank, um, but also because it's been an area where our, our teams and our people have wanted to engage their philanthropic efforts. So we have a long tradition at the firm of, of employees investing in philanthropy as teams and as groups and, in, and, and driving uh, fundraising efforts for some of our partners as well. And of course, we're really well positioned to engage on financial literacy and financial inclusion given our business and our business model. And um, ultimately, depending on which jurisdiction we're talking about, we're touching different parts of, of the financial ecosystem and particularly in Switzerland where we are a retail bank as well, we can really activate um, financial literacy, financial inclusion topics. Um, so it really plays to both what we um, are probably inherently well-versed in, but also where our employees like to spend their time and uh, focused uh, resources and philanthropic efforts. Yeah, that's very, I mean, it's kind of interesting uh, dimension you're taking, which is, which is great. I mean, you made a reference to the COVID you know, last year and all the social you know, issues came up. Uh, because of uh, also the racial issues, but also just the job practices, you know, being safe at work and so on. What is your assessment of how companies are doing now a year or a year and a half later when the limelight seems to have somewhat faded away? Yes, I think that, um, I think in general, it's, it's hard to um, do a full read across yet because, you know, I think even 12 months ago, we all probably thought we would be um, further advanced in beating back COVID. Um, so I, you know, our hearts go out to everybody dealing with Delta and the various complexities that's layering on. Um, and even I think about the number of countries we're operating in and how much we've had to toggle and bob and weave to put our employees' health and wellness at the front of at the front of our um, our strategy, and and how different that is in New York versus London versus Switzerland versus India, et cetera. Um, so yes, last summer there was a, a reckoning where social issues really came to the top of the agenda. And I think they are perpetuated there. I think that the headlines haven't followed as much in the past few months, but I think it's in the boardrooms. Um, I know that in the investor community maintains their focus on social topics. And you're even seeing some of these, um, the application of some of these topics embedded into some of the mandates that whether it's NASDAQ on board diversity or other kind of pronouncements that have been asked in terms of how people think about governance topics as well. You're seeing some of the social topics bob and weave across, um, across social and governance, but really at the corporate level. So again, it might not be a trend in the headlines, but it's definitely a trend that I think is in the boardrooms. And, and that will probably perpetuate, that would be my guess, because having you know good approach to social strategy for your firm and then also embedded with, with governance, it likely will not go away, um, especially given, you know, we tend, you know, we it's very hard to achieve some of the ambitions that have already been um, stated. So this is going to take long-term commitment, and this is something that you measure in, in years. 
um, not days and weeks. And um, so we're continuing to take this very seriously, rolling this through you know, scorecards for executives as an example, rolling it through the governance of board meetings. And I expect that other firms are doing the same thing. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, as you say, this is early days in a way, and we're going to see a lot more around social, just as an example to what you're saying, uh, co competition for talent is going to be critical and and the and the next generation of employees uh, will want to look at the social performance of companies uh, before they, they sign up, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's so what do we know? We know that one of the greatest wealth transfers in history is about, is happening or about to happen. Yeah. So the younger mm -hmm. generation will be taking up money to invest and they'll be looking by and large more on ESG factors overall and probably with an S as well. But ESG is much higher on the waterfall for the younger generation that are coming. And then of course, as you say, as they, as they enter the workforce as well, um, this is, of course, a topic. And I think that the great shakeup of COVID, again, I think it's on a longer timescale than we had predicted. I mean, again, Delta is cascading through. All the plans we had two months ago are already changed again. Um, but the whole balance around health, wellness, and work life is continues to shift and change. And of course, certain demographics feel the heat of that issue more acutely. You know, I'm sitting in the United States right now. Um, in general, we know that um, uh, diverse populations have felt the brunt of COVID at their employers more than non-diverse populations. And, and how do we persevere through that so that we're building back better indeed? And I think the timescale has become elongated because of the length of COVID despite vaccines. Um, and it's really gonna come down to corporations putting good plans in place to persevere through this. Now. On the, on the other end of the spectrum, or a different, maybe the way to say it is a different lens, is that I have the privilege of working with some clients who are, you know, in startup and scaling mode, yeah. who have completely embedded and integrated the best, highest bar of ESG standards into their operating model from day zero. And you can see this particularly in the health and wellness um, sectors where they've built their business with many, you know, best in class ESG standards at the heart. Um, not because of investor pressure, but because already it was a, you know, a, a core part of the, the value proposition that they're offering ultimately to their clients, whether it's in the food space, whether it's the, you know, the gym space, wherever you might find it. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point that, that there, is, there are industries and also there's sort of a, perhaps a generational change in thinking which is happening. So the future it will be quite, you know, quite different. I think I want to come back to the the reporting and UN SDG. It's kind of interesting that sustainability reports, including yours, are increasingly linking, you know, actions to the UN SDG goals. Which I bet, you know, even five years back, not everybody could talk about what they what they were. But the one thing which is happening is the link between E and S. So you know, it's not just isolation of E or isolation uh, S. So tell us about how that is linking and and can you bring in the energy industry angle into that because that's a lot of our you know watchers and listeners are from the energy industry and as well as other other industries yeah sure so yeah yes i mean what you're suggesting is is quite clear that uh you know uh e s and g are not mutually exclusive um so there are there is a venn diagram where e and s overlap and s and g and then e and g etc cetera, etc cetera. and so um this can be um 
a bit vague, but let's try to be precise about what we're talking about here. If you think about the ESG ambitions of an organization, um, and let's suggest that, that somebody's trying to deliver on Paris as an example, which is a very common commitment that many corporations make. Um, they have to have considered the social factors and the social implications of delivering on an energy strategy, um, an environmental, the environmental strategy that gets to some sort of net zero or decarbonization effort. So that means you have to think through um, the type of staffing you have, the type of employee engagement you have, and all the kind of um, ancillary topics that will enable a, a, a transition pathway on climate sensitive sectors or climate sensitive um, business strategies. So depending on what your workforce looks like, depending on what your operating model is and how you're, you know, what type of assets you're working with, the training your people need, um, the education, the communities in which you're operating and how you might have to change, again, the hard assets that you have and the staff that you're working with, you're going to have to think through your social strategy, your human capital strategy and all the kind of related components. So interestingly, you know, I think that, um, Social strategy has been in the mix for most employers for a long time. And in fact, most corporations, you know, recognize the need to engage with the societies in which they, in which they operate. And yet here we are at this massive transition point um, where many people have very ambitious environmental and climate ambitions. And it really goes to show you that you have to have a proper and well thought out social strategy um, that goes along and in parallel around, again, the societies and the, the locations you're operating in with the people you're operating with, with the employees that you're operating with. Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing which you just reminded me of, Lady, is that the phrase just transition, you know, which has linked to the social dimension was not even in kind of in, in the vogue even you know, two years back, I think, you know, yeah. talking about in a big way, are you hearing that? You know, in, in, not just in the energy sector, but more broadly, that any kind of transition needs to be a just transition. And how do you respond to that then? Yeah. Well, listen, I'm I'm acutely sensitive that we operate across so many jurisdictions, and um, you know, I've been living an expat life for a while, so I'm highly attuned to um, certain phrases we have to be cautious with because they might be um, misinterpreted or, or oversimplified. Um, but what I would say is, in general, the clients with whom we operate with want to run going concern profitable organizations that will transition in a sensible manner. And so I, an important component of that is the way in which you work with your employees and with in which in the in the, in the locations that you operate in. So is that just transition? It's somewhere in there. But um, again, it, it can be complicated when you use some of these expressions because it, it might not land right all the time. But I, I know exactly what you're talking about and I tend to have a lot of sympathy for that idea. Um, as a financial institution, what we're looking to do is, is really enable that kind of transition with the intellectual property we have and how it could work um, and bringing all the relevant stakeholders alongside. Because when you activate the stakeholder community, you know whether it's your investors, your employees, whoever else, the governments around you, then you have a bet, your best shot of actually of high execution. Yeah, I think you're 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 raising an important issue because you know it could become a bit of a cliche, isn't it? Because for a, and you are a global co company, global bank. You know, if you're, 
if you're in a place where the population has no access to energy, that access to energy, irrespective of the type of energy, is a just transition, right? You can't prevent that from happening, isn't it? Yes. And I think particularly in the Western world, you know, we have, you know, there's 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 very there's differences to how we interpret this challenge versus in some of the developing world. Um, you know, there's lots of ways to talk about this, but it's it's quite complex and you know, I think there's the expression, all politics are local, all transitions are local. You know, the energy transition for some people still means getting electricity. Um, and, and you know, we don't want to stand in the way of that progress. Um, and what that means versus decarbonizing, you know, uh, 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 an organization and enterprise is, is in the Western world is very different, for example. Yeah, you, you, you remind me of other uh, popular phrase from the past, you know, think global, act local. And in this case, we will have to think uh, think locally. So yeah. before we go on to other a uh, couple of other topics, I have, uh, you know, on the social. Since you have done a lot of research on it, you know, if uh, what would be your advice to our our listeners? You know, what should they be looking at? What should they be doing? Uh, you know, yeah, and, yeah. So I mean, there's lots of ways to think about social, and I always like to first look at how. Um, we might be evaluated by relevant stakeholders. So um, again, I would I would pay tribute to SASB Heritage or um, some of the other organizations that have really literally checklists, which you can consider how they interpret your social strategy. And that just can be alongside of, of thinking and considering um, what an organization's policy is around their staff and certain states, you know, if it's unionized or not, but you have to think about labor standards. Um, then there's the, you know, employee safety and health protection, which can go into the space of healthcare and wellness and kind of perks, but also minimum standards for, for safety and health protection. Um, we also, of course, as I already mentioned, you can get into diversity and inclusion and training and education. Um, and, um, and there's a lot of discussion also, I should say here about supply chains and the using your, your own, the power of your own purse to consider yeah. the your supply chain and how your supply chain has cascade effects on either climate or on diversity and inclusion standards or on worker health and safety topics as well. Yeah, so the many, many opportunities to make a, make an impact, isn't it? Yeah. I want to come back to something you said at the very beginning, which was uh, the big uh, COP meeting conference for parties, yeah. uh, 26th meeting happening in Glasgow uh, in less than two months away. How are How is Credit Suisse preparing for it, thinking about it, what's happening more broadly with the, with the financial sector leading up to COP? Yeah, well, we've had the privilege of being part of the financial services task force um, for I think nearly a year, if not more, um, which is a collaboration of, of 12 global banks uh, convened by um, Prince Charles, the, the, um, His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales. And this is a, a pretty important group because it it's structured to bring together ideas and incredible um, partnership and collaboration for how banks can assist on achieving net zero while also advancing industry best practices, in some cases, um, creating new markets to, to facilitate net zero transitions. Um, we also have joined the Net Zero Banking Alliance, um, which is also under uh, GFAN, which is Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. This is Mark Carney's organization, which is a bit more expansive in terms of the number of, of banks. But again, it's about collaboration, partnership, driving for efficient markets, uh, efficient kind of data, 
um, and and really also with the thesis or with the underlying effort of really around net zero emissions by 2050. So the big the big headline for me, which is a little bit different perhaps than than other areas of our business model, is that. Um, you, you're really seeing the financial institutions coming together to share best practices and um, endeavor together to, to recognize how complex this is, um, but also be very um, uh, centric to the idea that we need to assist our clients transition, help our clients transition. And we ourselves um, have varying um, necessities to change our own business model to achieve our own net zero ambitions. So a lot of collaboration and partnership um, with, with the highest levels of, of financial um, uh, services, leadership and management. Do you, do you see sort of some specific recommendations being made to the government, you know, to the actual official COP body based on these, uh, uh, these two initiatives? I think that as of now, there is already good communication with um, governments and regulators that probably mm -hmm. hadn't even existed um, at Paris in the same sort of um, scale and magnitude. So there's already a good dialogue, and how you know, and I expect that to continue and to become more um, sophisticated as time goes by, not just for COP26, but for the for the foreseeable future as well. More, more broadly, so the other thing you mentioned at the very beginning was, um, uh, you know, all the various activities by the regulators, and the one very important regulator, of course, is the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission in the the U.S. And you mentioned what they're trying to do in terms of creating some regulation or some framework for reporting on the climate related risk. How do you see that evolving uh, rulemaking by end of this year and then some legislation next year? Tell us what was your uh, crystal yeah. Well, yeah, I think the, the, the precise announcement that there would be rulemaking by the end of the year. Um, from that, I, I, I can't do too much crystal ball um, effort to, to go further, but what I will say is that um, I am, um, you know, how I see this, and I think based on what the SEC has put out already, um, the way in which to think about this for the participants on this call is that ultimately this is about risk disclosure. It's about understanding risk profile. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that then various stakeholders, whether it's investors or regulators, can understand you know, the fragility or the strength of a company and how much um, exposure they have to, to sensitivity around climate. And to me, that was a great step forward so that it's not just a discussion about climate change or climate change business strategy, but it's really, we, we all can talk in, in topics of risk and how we should interpret what our balance sheet look like and how much climate sensitivity is on balance sheet. And I think we can all agree that that's an important idea and an important set of information for our investors to have at their disposal for them to actually be able to understand the risk element of our business model. So it's, it's just another sleeve of risk management in some sense. It's quite hard, the data is novel. It's, in, it's, it's not organized as much as we as an industry would want it to be. And there's a lot of you know, it's so it's a massive effort to do this. I don't want to underestimate it. But in the future, I think it will look very much like other types of risk we manage once that data infrastructure is really built up. Yeah, and SEC clearly thinking about how to put it all together and, and put it into motion, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, uh, 
so my my final question that is you know we have uh, we are here in uh, september now move from march tell us you know closing thoughts on where do, how do you see this whole esg landscape evolving and you know we hope you, you will join us in uh, sarah week march 2022 hopefully in person in houston but what should we be expecting by that time what's, what's kind of your thinking well, again, I think that um, the, the big surprise factor will be that um, COVID has continued to, to crystallize the importance of, of social factors um, across uh, the boardroom um, agendas. And that probably isn't something we would have predicted, predicted uh, 12 or 15, 18 months ago, but that will perpetuate as we continue to, to see fragility in all of our businesses based on how we persevere through the COVID recovery. Um, and so, you know, I think that that will, that will continue kind of ad infinitum, but overall, you know, ESG is, um, is maintaining its relevance, um, in terms of being a filter through which different stakeholders can assess a, assess a, a company and, a, and an organization. It is not always, um, um, sufficient, but it's an important lens. And it's a lens that um, employees just as much as investors or regulators want to access. So I think it's important to have a, consist, a, a coherent and systematic approach to ESG. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to set you know, ambitious goals that you can credibly execute on. Um, and disclosure and transparency are very important. For certain, we know that the transition is going to be hard, uh, take a long time, and likely be messy. And that will lead to challenges in the boardroom, in the actual plant, in the operations, and with, with different uh, stakeholders. But we, I think um, endeavoring on it with transparency and engagement is, is quite important, and I expect that to persist. Yeah, so as you said, transitions are both messy, but also they're unpredictable, isn't it? So, and COVID has really, from what I hear from you throughout this conversation, uh, you believe has been a very big change. Is that Absolutely. fair? Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Lady Hudson from Credit Suisse, member of the management committee. Uh, thank you for joining us for this conversation, talking about ESG. Uh, look forward to seeing you in uh, Houston. And thank you everyone for watching us. Thank you, Atul.